title this morning, Responding to the Rising River. If you weren't here last week, I'll explain that in a moment. Uh, But before we get into that, um, please pray for uh, Christian and Megan and myself and Phil Corson. Uh, Plan is, uh, this Friday we head to Columbia. Um, We will be in three cities, Bogota, Medellin, and Barranquilla. Uh, did, did you have a chance? How many, how many teachings? A lot. a lot. There's going to be a lot of teachings. So probably, we'll probably, between the three of us, I'm going to say up where near 20, 20 teachings, um, preaching and teachings uh, in the three cities. Um, so we are going to be with primarily Grace Partnership Churches and their pastors and their wives, and uh, so please keep us in prayer. We leave Friday um, for that, and uh, and if you come here this morning and maybe it's your first time, you find yourself in the midst of two series at the same time. One is we're closing, we're getting close to closing out our mini series on covenants. Um, this is week four. Uh, Josiah will complete. Our mini-series on covenants uh, next week uh, as he will tackle the new covenant. And then we're also, within that, we're, we're preaching through the books of First and Second Samuel. And so we find ourselves in the covenant of David in Second Samuel chapter 7. And so I want to remind you, kind of bring us up to speed a little bit and bring us from last week to this week. That illustration that, that we were using from last week was this idea that, you know, you got different little tiny bits of water that comes together from a number of different places and turns into a creek. Uh, and creeks, uh, a number of different creeks, all feed into a stream. And a whole lot of streams feed into what becomes a river. And that's where we're at in our series on the covenants. We're at the point of river. And what we were saying last week is the riverbanks are overflowing. And I can't call this the ocean. The ocean certainly is, is next week. Um, but at the same time, wow, we're close to the ocean. There's so much gospel in these passages. Kind of of similar to last week, I just want to say 2 Samuel 7 is so stunning. In its glories. Uh, I feel a bit like during the week, you know, as I study and spend time in the text, like the Lord is just, I'm just a little windy toy. The Lord is just winding me up. And we get to come here on Sunday and he just lets go with the thing. (laughs) And so, so here we go. Lord, help us. We saw last week in verse number one of chapter seven that there's rest for David. This is is a new moment in the life of David. Never have we heard the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. We've heard or we've seen Daniel on the run, on the run for his life. Uh, the Philistines are always attacking. He now has rest 
from the Philistines. They're defeated. The, the, the nation, the, the, the people of Israel, they're now united under finally one king, David. Um, and he says in verse 1, the following, he He's talking to Nathan and he's saying, I want to do something for the Lord. It, it's something, there's something not right about this picture. I live in a house made of cedar and the Lord lives in a tent. And so he's, he's saying to Nathan, I, I want to build a house for the Lord. And Nathan says to him, do what's in your heart. And then Nathan goes to his home. And that same night, the Lord speaks to him and tells him to tell David, no, you're not going to build a house for me. That's not what this relationship is going to be based on. It's not going to be based on what you do for me. Our relationship, the relationship between between David and God is going to be based on what God will do for David. David's passive when it comes to covenant. Remember when Christian preached Abraham. No, No clear way to describe it. Abraham's passive in those chapters. When we see, what, what's he going to do? What's, what's your contribution to the covenant, Abraham? Sleep. That's your contribution. You sleep. And the Lord communicates to him, to us, this is what I will do for you, Abraham. And, and last week, this is what I will do for you, David. Remember, I think we said 13 times in those passages last week, it says, I will, I will, I will, I will. There's no David stepping up, but what do I do? Nothing, David. You do nothing. You contribute nothing to this relationship. And we bring that to here and your salvation. What do you contribute? What do you contribute to your salvation? What do you contribute to bringing yourself to a relationship with God? Here's what you contribute. Nothing. Nothing in my hands I bring to the praise of our God. And so we kept saying last week, the river's overflowing the riverbanks when we talk about these things of covenant. David, I want to build you a house. God says, no, you're not going to build be a house. I'm going to build you a house. I'm not going to build you a physical house. I'm going to build you a lineage house. I'm going to build an offspring that will come from you. I'm going to build a kingdom that will come through you. Not because of you, but because of me for the Lord's glory. You're going to have a kingdom, David, and that kingdom's going to be a forever kingdom. The river's overflowing, but we're still not to the ocean. Yeah, that's next week. So the text, if you're reading last week and all these 13 I will, I will, I wills from the Lord. Perhaps where we ended last week, we should be asking the question, how will David respond to that? What's his response? And for us this morning in all the I wills that the Lord has done in our lives, our same question, what what should be our response to that? What's the response to covenant in our lives? David's saying, I want to do something for God. God says, no, you're not going to build me a house, but I will. 
build a house in you. Covenant. Even here in the Old Testament, it wasn't about what David could do for God. Even here in David, there's just this, right, in all of us, just this desire to create some sort of works-based salvation for our relationship with God. So God sets things right. This relationship will not be about what you do for me, but it will be what I will do for you. And the glory in our walk in Christ is not, wow, what, what great things you're doing for God. No, it's, wow, what great things God is doing for you. And that's really where we left off. The river is rising. Covenant glory is leading David somewhere. And it leads us as well. So we want to see how does David respond to this rising river of covenant glory. Let's pause and pray. Lord, we now look to you. We turn to you. We turn to your word. Lord, we so easily come here. We, we walk in the doors. We, we're so mindful of ourselves. We're so mindful of how we're feeling, how we feel, people feel about us. We're so mindful of how we look, how we appear. We're so mindful of ourselves. Lord, each week, this is an opportunity for us to pause and get our gaze off of ourselves and to place it where it belongs. It belongs on you. Lord, so as we look to your word, Lord, I pray that your word would shine so brightly. Lord, I don't even know how to pray. I don't even have the, the full words, Lord, to pray. God, other than God, help us. Open our dull eyes. There are glories. Lord, we have not unpacked your glories. We have not unpacked your glories in a single verse in this entire book that's before us. Lord, reveal yourself to us yet again today. Show us your glory. God, thank you for all the I wills that we see here in the text to the first half of this chapter. But Lord, help us to see all that you have willed to do in our lives is the very reason we're here. Help us to know, how do we respond to that? Your infinite glories. Lord God, would you help us? Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we begin with, O oh Lord God. Verse 18 again, then King David went in. So then, all right, all these I wills, 13 I wills. This is what I will do for you, David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? O Lord God. Just want to unpack that a minute before we unpack the rest. But this is, this is, O Adonai Yahweh. This is Adonai, the Lord, 
Adonai. It, it means he's the master. He's the sovereign one. He's the ruler. It sets things right uh, in Israel. David, you're the prince. You're not the king. There's a Lord. There's a sovereign Lord. There's a king in Israel. He is Adonai Lord. And so he says, oh Lord. He, he rightly puts himself in the right position after all these I wills. Oh Lord, God. It's the word Yahweh. It comes from the, the Hebrew that, that translates I am. It's, it's God to Moses. I am that I am. It was originally, in the original language, not even a pronounced word. It was just letters because it was thought to be too holy of a word to even speak his name. It's Y-H-W-H. It translates into our, uh, our Bibles as Yahweh or Jehovah. It's O Adonai Yahweh. Speaking of the I am nature of God, meaning his self-existence, meaning his self-dependency, meaning he depends on no other created thing. He is in and of himself dependent on no one, nothing. We are dependent entirely on him. He is dependent entirely on no one, nothing. He's self-sufficient. I am. It's who he is. It's why the Jewish leaders lost their mind when Jesus said in John 8, Before Abraham was, I am. So, O Lord God, says David. O Adonai, Master, Sovereign One, Ruler, Lord God, Yahweh, Eternal, Self-Sufficient, Self-Dependent. I am, O Lord God. Eight times. In these 12 verses, do we hear from the lips of David, Oh, Lord God. He can't hardly get his next thought out before he repeats himself, Oh, Lord God. Oh, Lord God. It's the right response to 13 passive moments. David, what do you bring to the relationship? Nothing, nothing, nothing. But here's what the Lord will do, what he will do, what he will do, what he will do, what he will do. Oh, Lord God is the right response. That's what covenant will do for you or do to you or where it will lead you. It will lead you to reflect on who God is. His attributes, his character, it tells us something about what the Lord has done. And so we find it in Genesis 15. We find this same phrase from Abram, oh Lord God. We find it, what? All throughout the Psalms, oh Lord God. We find it in the prophets, oh Lord God. You find it here on the lips of David as, as all the covenant promises are being made known to him that the kingdom is coming and that kingdom will be an eternal kingdom. This is, this, this is there, there's a better king, there is a new king, there is a king of kings who is coming, oh Lord God. It's not Saul, it's not you, David, but Jesus is coming, Oh, Lord God. And so Luke opens his gospel with the angel saying to Mary, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God, Adonai, Yahweh, will give to him the throne of his father, 
David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. O Lord God, the Lord God will do that. That is who he is. That is what he is going to do. And so again, from last week, Revelation 11, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. It will be Advent season soon. Can you believe that? It's Advent season. So so I'm preaching today. Uh, Josiah next week. Rick will have us back in Samuel chapter 8 in two weeks. Then I cover, I think, 9 and 10. And then it's Advent season. (laughs) Hello. That's a thing. It's always Advent season. The Lord has saved you. Are you redeemed? If so, the Lord has saved you. What's our response? Oh, Lord God. Oh, sovereign one. Yahweh, the great I am, has saved me. That's what an encounter with God will do to you, for you. It will put you before the Lord in awe, in praise of him. Nobody, Nobody had to say to David, okay, David, now's the time for you to go in and pray. And for you, here's the words you need to use. And for you to adore the Lord. He just responds. In worship. I'm going to build you a house, Lord. No, you're not going to build me a house. This relationship is not going to be about what you do for me. This relationship will be about what I will do for you. Because you, David, are a covenant breaker. You will break covenant with me. I will make and establish a covenant with you that will only be about what I do for you because if we make it be about what you do for me, well, you will break covenant, but I will not break covenant because I'm the covenant keeper. Oh, Lord God. So we move from there. There are three to four questions depending on how you look at them. Questions of awe that come from the lips of David. Again, verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? Who am I? David David has said, You're the Lord God, but who am I? David, David has a better picture of who God is. You're the sovereign Yahweh, I am, but who am I? that that Lord God would be mindful of me. Who are you? David could say, I'm just a shepherd boy. I didn't rise to this place to become this prince and and in the eyes of the people, this this king. I I didn't do this. I didn't create this. I didn't make this happen. Who am I? 
at this point, David gets covenant. He gets it. He gets covenant. He gets that something is being done for him and to him, but not by him. Who am I to receive this grace and this mercy? Who am I that through my offspring there would be a forever kingdom? I don't even think. He gets it. I don't even know to what extent he gets it, though. What is his, what is his full understanding that the coming king is the son of the living God, Jesus, the king of kings? We might think, well, you're the king of Israel. How did that happen? How did you rise to power? Well, certainly that giant slaying thing had something to do with that, right? Well, how did that happen? How'd that happen? What, what credit can David take for slaying a giant? You're the poet of all those Psalms, you're, you're someone, right? Well, how did that happen? Outside of the Lord. God, uh, David could not make covenant happen. If it was up to David, he would have blown it. David hasn't earned covenant from God. No. The Lord just says, This is what I will do for you. David gets it, and he responds, Who am I, O Lord God? Verse 18 again. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Who... Who am I that you would bring covenant to me? Who am I that you would build your forever kingdom through my lineage? Who, who, who was Noah? Who was Abram? What, what great thing had Abram done? And can I ask you, who are you? Who are you that you would be here this morning serving the Lord God? What great thing have you done that the Lord would look at you and say, oh, I got to have him. I got to have her. The answer is you slept. (laughs) Actually, you weren't just indifferently sleeping. You were an enemy of the Lord God in our sinfulness. That's not my ideas. That's not me. That's not. That's scripture. As enemies of God. Christ came to you and redeemed you from the very pit. Oh, Lord God, who am I? Believer, that is what is on the lips of every believer in Christ who gets it. Who am I? Who am I to be a recipient of your grace? Who am I that I would be a follower of the one true God? Who am I that I wouldn't be just in darkness and deception? Who am I that I would 
know the Lord Jesus Christ? Who am I that I would have the Spirit of God living in me? Who am I that I would call this almighty God, Yahweh, God, Adonai, Yahweh, who am I that I would call him Father? We move from who am I to what can I say? Verse 20, and what more can David say to you? For you know your servant. All right, there's, there's a sense there like you, you know me. What more can I say for you know me? You know your servant. Oh, Lord God, because of your promise. You might want to circle these yours. And according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know, know it. Therefore, you are great, O oh Lord God. Ah, what an appropriate response. For there is none like you and there is no God beside you according to all that we have heard with our ears. If you didn't know any better, you'd have thought you were reading Paul right there. You know me, oh Lord God, because of your promise. What, what, is, what, what is David saying? What, what am I bringing to the party? You're not bringing anything to the party. Oh, great is your name, oh Lord God. There's none like you. I love those verses. So verse 18, who am I? Really, verses 20 and following is who God is. Or again, the activity of God. Now here's what's amazing. When he says, what, what can I say? We're talking about David. Have you read the Psalms? He can say a lot. He's got a lot of things to say. He's written glories upon glories upon glories. And yet... This guy who wrote a good chunk of the Psalms is at this point saying, I don't know what else to say. I'm out of words before you, oh Lord God. I love that so much because language is finite. It seeks to describe or express or glory in a God who is infinite. We come to this place and we run out of words. How does the finite language, is it finitude? Is that, is that a word? I don't know. Finitude of language describe an infinite God. What do we what do we do with that? Eventually, we all run out of words because God is bigger than our words. He's bigger than our ability to express the glories of who he is. He's greater than our lyrics. I'm so grateful for people who write God-centered, Christ-centered, gospel-centered lyrics. We get to sing those. But here's the thing. We run out of words. 
It's beyond, he, God is beyond any of our ability to describe and to entirely, there will be no entire ascribing the glory to his name. I love the one psalm that just keeps going back to it and just says, ascribe to him the glory. Ascribe to him the glory. Okay, we'll ascribe to him the glory again. Oh, because God is infinite. Oh, Lord God, he says. And then he asks, who is like your people? Verse 23. And who is like your people, Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people. Pause. Who is like your people? You are the people of God today. Oh, this should just undo us. Lord, help us. The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people. And David, David's aware there are all these other nations. Who, are, who is this people that you would redeem this people, this nation, among all those other nations? What are we going to do with that? I know, I know there's a struggle in the room. I, I, I know you're hearing my reformed convictions come out in this. They're coming out because I think they're on the page. We come to places like Romans 9, right? And we should all be wrestling. We should be struggling. I, I say if you don't lose sleep over Romans 9, you probably don't understand Romans 9. It's so hard. It's so difficult. Well, so is 2 Samuel 7. What about all these other names? What, what are we supposed, to, we supposed to do with that? Well, I'm not here to unpack all of that. We've done it before. We'll do it again. But for now, we're just to be undone that we are a part of the people of God. The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them an awesome, an awesome thing, great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt. And you're saying, well, I wasn't redeemed from Egypt. Yes, you were. Egypt represents the world. They were enslaved to Egypt. God came and redeemed them. Paint the blood on the doorframe of your house and let there be a Passover. Next week, we'll celebrate communion. Take that communion with this scripture in mind. Praise be to our God. You are the redeemed people of God, meaning he redeems you. No, not from Egypt, from the world, from your slavery to sin. You were enslaved to sin and death. Christ redeems you. He sets you free. Praise be to God. Oh, oh Lord God. Oh, where did I stop? I can't make it through this scripture. Making himself yeah. whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. Praise God. He redeemed us from its gods. And you established for yourself your people, Israel. You did that. 
your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. You, sovereign one, you, ruler, Lord, master, king, sovereign one, became their Yahweh. You became the I am to these people. Church, Trinity Community Church, if you are a follower of Christ, you are a part of those people, that redeemed people of God. My understanding is that verse 24 is actually marriage language. It'd be like myself, be like every husband in the room towards your own spouse, but it'd be like me saying, wow, who am I to, be, to get to be the husband of my wife, Kim? Who are we to be married, to be the bride of Christ, to be the covenant people of God, to be that people? Well, the answer was back there in verse number 21. Because of your promise, according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. It's Peter saying, the Apostle Peter saying in 1 Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. It's not according to anything that you and I have done. It's according to his great mercy. He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Praise be to me, to you, certainly not. Oh, Lord God. It is Paul. He can hardly get the words out before he keeps returning back to praise in Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he has chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as th sons through Jesus Christ how did this come to be according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace that's Paul saying, oh, Lord God, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Isn't it true? In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of 
his will. So that, what's the response, David? What's the response, church, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory? In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Old Testament, oh Lord God. (laughs) What do you do with that? Believer in Christ, what do you do with your redemption from sin and death? What do you do with covenant and the fact that you and I contributed nothing to your salvation, nothing to your relationship that you now have with God? What do you do with the fact that it was according to the purpose of his will, not yours, but to his will? He willed, he purposed. Before the beginning of time, he purposed. He made a covenant, and you're the recipient of that covenant. You were asleep. What do you do with the fact that you're a part of the people of God? What do you do with the fact that you're in this room this morning, that you would even care to be here? What do you do? What do we say? Oh, Lord God. Oh, Lord God. Because the river's rising. The banks are overflowing. And you know, we haven't got to the ocean yet. Number three, therefore courage. And now, oh, Lord God, Confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you have spoken. That's bold. (laughs) That's bold. Oh, Lord God, do it. And your name will be magnified forever, saying the Lord of of hosts is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. You know, the David's pretty wise here. He's praying. And what is he doing? He's praying back the covenant. One of the things I love about our prayer meeting is on Sunday mornings, you're welcome to join us. It's a great time. But first thing we do is here's our text. We're going to be praying. We're just going to pray scripture, right? We're going to push to the side our list. We want to begin with God. We want to begin with his truths. And so he finds courage, it shows us. Oh, Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken. And then God confirmed it. How did he confirm it? Through his son. (laughs) Here's the confirmation. Jesus Christ, who is the living word, right? 
Jesus is the Word. That's why John 1 begins with, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's Jesus. Jesus is the Word. David says in verse 25, Lord, confirm it. Confirm it, Lord. And the Lord confirmed it (laughs) by saying, or by sending, Jesus, who took on human flesh, and he perfectly fulfilled the covenant. He fulfilled the covenant in that he did the covenant. He obeyed the covenant. He he obeyed the, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The law. Well, I was looking for more, but we'll go with law. (laughs) He obeyed the law. He fulfilled the covenant perfectly, but what else did he do, right? The whole cutting of the covenant last week, two weeks ago, God passes through. Christ obeyed the covenant, the law. He fulfilled it entirely, and then he said, and I will pay the price of the covenant for covenant breakers. Praise be to God. Adam did not pass through the covenant. He would have been a dead man walking. Christ will come and he will pay the covenant price for covenant breakers by dying on the cross. And he rose on the third day and he ascended to the Father and he sent his spirit to live in us. And the covenant keeping God kept his covenant. Oh, Lord God. And he will return for his people. And so people look at you kind of crazy, like, you really believe that? I really believe that. Why? Well, because of covenant. Well, because, well, I'm just going to grab randomly, but because he's fulfilled that much. <laughs> like, like, because when he came and he put his feet on the ground the first time, the people were told, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. He's coming all the way back here a thousand years before he came. It's being prophesied of here through covenant he's coming he's coming he's coming and then he came and everybody was like not him well he will come again and there will be a people who are at that day still saying i don't think he's coming and so he says in verse 26 magnify your name Psalms 115 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name. Give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. To you, Lord, not to us. We're covenant breakers. You're the covenant keeper. Verse 28, he says, bless your people. David, here... Here is the king, right? Think about this for a moment with me. The king, but, but he's praying. At this moment, he's praying, right? And so this is quite kingly, priestly. Bless your people. He's, he's being priest-like at this moment, crying out for the people of Israel. He's king, he's priest. Later we'll see he's prophet. Oh, He's a shadow. There's a prophet, a priest, a king who's to come. There's a shadow. 
And so he prays these bold prayers on behalf of the people because he found courage, it says. This is a confidence that's rising up in him because of covenant. He's, he's finding this courage. Now, hear me, please. This is not this confidence that's rising up in, in, in and of himself. No, this is because this is what God has said and he's becoming confident of that truth. We call that what? We call it faith. I believe what God has spoken. This faith is not I believe in something that there's just nothing that exists. No, it, its object is a person. It is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I am emboldened in my confidence because of who you are, because of your covenant promises. The Lord has said, I will. And David's becoming confident that he will. And so he prays boldly. There's something in that for us as well. I think the author of Hebrews would answer with a strong yes to David when he said, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, with courage, with boldness, some of your translations say. It's not boldness in yourself. It's not confidence in who you are. This is have confidence in your great high priest who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let there be confidence because of what he's already accomplished to Um, to draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Oh, oh, Lord God. Let's stand together, church, and let's respond in some sort of way, singing how great, oh, Lord God, is this morning.